Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Rodney E. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the round 21 preview edition and we're getting really serious now and I guess the good news is we can all finally get some sleep because the ashes are over and we can stop going to bed at 3.30 or 4am as I say. Very uh, good morning to my co-host, Mr. Rodney Eade. How are you going, Rocket? Uh, very well, thanks, Ryan. A bit disappointed in the cricket. I thought um, it's it, it's interesting with English. They talk about the spirit of the game and want to jump up and down and whinge and then they change the ball like they did and nothing said about the spirit of the game. I'm like, mm-hmm. It's a bit, uh, and then did want to have a drink with the Aussies in the rooms afterwards. And I know, I'll tell you what, that's the worst thing you can do to an Australian, isn't it? You can, <laughs> you, can, you can murder our families and kill our pets, but if you don't have a drink with us after a game, you are dead to us. Uh, yeah, a bit, uh, a bit, a bit hypocritical with Brendan McCullum, but anyway, that's uh, uh, as he's want. I tend to agree. Uh, the uh, two all uh, series results, uh, a lot of debate about who were the moral Victors, is that going to become a new measuring stick in sport? Do you think uh, moral victory as opposed to real victory? Moral victories don't count, unfortunately. Do they? <laughs> no, it no. Doesn't, doesn't matter. It's zero relevance. And, yeah, well, uh, you'd, you'd know that being a former Hawthorne player because you guys weren't big on morality in the day, were you? Oh, geez. I'm only following other teams um, around just copycatting. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we better get to... Anyway, my point was that uh, we can uh, get back completely focused on a task at hand, although there is the uh, FIFA Women's World Cup, of course, and uh, I tweeted something about the Matildas uniforms last night, and that's still going. Uh, I quite like that away strip, the teal. Are you a fan of that, Rock? Why would they have the away strip when they're playing at home? Well, I've had... About 5,000 people on Twitter explained this to me. Apparently, they were the designate, Australia was the designated away team somehow yeah, in Melbourne, um, yeah. which is interesting. I, I thought it was all about actual clashes, and I'm not sure how yellow would have clashed with. Uh, no, I don't think yellow and green would clash with uh, blue and black or blue and white or whatever they had. So. I actually <laughs> prefer these strips, though, to be honest. So, anyway, maybe we can change our national sporting colours. Anyway. Enough rambling for me. We've got a heap of news to talk about. Uh, one massive retirement. Uh, I think you know who I'm talking about there. And some serious stuff as well. And a big round to preview. So let's do all of that right now. On Footyology Newsfeed. Well, no doubting what the big news story of the last few days has been. That is the retirement of Lance Buddy. Franklin and uh, Rocket, I was doing that game on Saturday night for 3AW and Buddy went off with that calf injury and I said, uh, well, you know, you can sort of hype things up a bit, but I said, will that be the last time we've seen him? But and I think we were all preparing ourselves, but when the news comes, it's still a bit of a shock and uh, my, my initial reaction was just sadness that we won't get to see him do his stuff anymore. Um, how, how do you feel about it? Uh, no, I'm not that emotional about it, uh, Rowan. I think we've got this year, I think, as an extra, really, he probably should have finished last year, uh, to be honest. Um, and even then, you could probably question whether that was a one-year extension. But no, I think I think that the shame is that he didn't have a farewell game, if that's the right phrase, so he'd be able to go to round 23 or 24 whenever they'd play their last home game. He'd make it then, but... Uh, but uh, as far as seeing me again, I didn't think he'd be playing a game next year. I heard, 
I heard one commentator, Ben Dixon, say it'd be great for the Gold Coast to get him next year. I like, what a ridiculous statement. Um, I know he's living up there, but he's not going to, he, he wouldn't even contemplate going to play and the Gold Coast shouldn't even contemplate a 36, 37 or 37 year old. But look, he's had a great career. It's probably just a bit of a shame that it's finished the way it has as far as an injury. Well, I, uh, I wrote an appreciation of his career for ESPN and um, to me, more than the numbers, you think of those memories, the famous moments, you know, the, the goal running along the, the members of the MCG with Kyle Hooker and his wake. Uh, two of them in six minutes. Yeah, I know. I was, I was actually sitting on the boundary and he ran right past me. Um, I won't forget that in a hurry. He, he ritually tore Essendon apart, so most Essendon people remember that. The hurdle over the Collingwood player in the, in the middle of the MCG, two, not one, but two long bombs in Hawthorne's third quarter revival in the 2012 grand final. Uh, the third swag of 13 goals against North Melbourne, the dribbler in the 2011 preliminary final. Yeah, that was a great goal. That was a fantastic goal. Because I, I had a I had a look at that one again. He was actually running at full tilt straight towards the boundary fence with Chris Tarrant right on his hammer. Um, and, you know, three minutes to go in the game. That regained the lead for them. Of course, Luke Ball stunk them again after that. But uh, had that capacity to rise to the big moments too. And I haven't mentioned the you know, another one of that ilk. The goal uh, for Hawthorne against Adelaide in the 2007 elimination final, which also secured the win. And I think he he was only, I think, 20 at that stage. So so it's just a catalogue of some of the game's most memorable images, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And he's kicked goals in many different ways. Um, Most people would say probably due to his athleticism. And I saw some goals highlight last night, but the ball roving off the pack and running lateral to the to the goal square from 20 or 30 metres out and then coming across. Just just unbelievable touch and unbelievable athleticism to be able to hit that at speed. And the long goals, like he never really lost that. Um, now he's kicking him from 60 and 70. Um, now his ability to get up and then run. Now, the, now he wasn't a great contested mark. Uh, it wasn't a great mark per se. He knows a lot of double grabs, but he had so much else in his in his kid bag uh, that that caused opposition teams and coaches a lot of trouble. I'll just rattle off a few numbers because they they are worth reciting. Uh, one thousand and sixty six goals from three hundred and fifty four games, so one of only six guys to kick over a thousand goals, and that puts him fourth in that list. Um, he sits among the top twenty for games played. Third most by an Indigenous player behind Sean Burgoyne and Adam Goods. A four-time Coleman medalist. Thirteen times leading goalkicker for his club. Six times at Hawthorne and seven with Sydney. Did win the Hawthorne Best and Fairest in 2008. A premiership year. That's always a huge tick for how good a season has been. Um, Eight-time All-Australian. One of only five players to be named... All Australian eight times, joining Gary Ablett Jr., Paddy Dangerfield, Robert Harvey, and Mark Rusciuto, kicked seventy-four goals in finals, third most in the history of the game behind Gordon Coventry and Jason Dunstall. Rocket, the thing, the one sort of stat for me that speaks the most is that amazing two thousand and eight season when he he ended up 
uh, I think it was 103 to win the Coleman, but 113 for the season, including finals. Have a look at the Coleman medal winners either side of that. For uh, three or four years prior to that, the tallies that have been winning it were 70, 80. And subsequently after that, even like he won it four years later again with a tally of 70. So even as scores were coming down and defensive systems were big and, you know, uh, Sydney under Paul Roos and, and West Coast in the mid-2000s had had an a, a ultra-contested, con, low-scoring sort of style. To be able to do that in that era as it got harder and harder for key forwards, I mean, that was just incredible that season. Yeah, it was. Um, when you have a look at, uh, I think, his whole career, there's been a lot of more focus on defence. I think your whole point there, how many, I think two things, how many more goals would you have kicked with that for athleticism in the previous eras? Yeah. And the other thing is accuracy or lack of accuracy of a goal, especially the first part of his career. Like, he kicked a, remember one day, um, I think I spoiled. I was running as coach. I think he kicked two ten. I remember he played, he played exceptionally well, but he kicked two ten. Yeah, and there's a lot of other games where he kicked more points than goals. So if he his accuracy improved as he as he went on, so obviously he did some work on it. He, he didn't have his bigger arc. Um, he ran a bit more on a straight line than he than he had in the past, um, and improved. But in those first eight years, if he had some accuracy, he might have. He might have challenged Blokart, really. He was just uh, – but, uh, yeah, he, he was an incredible athlete. As I said before, he found so many different ways to get goals. It wasn't mark, lead, uh, type player, then go back and kick a goal. It was dodge path the player, get 60, 70 up, use the athletic to get back, turn around players, climb up goal, take a mark, uh, get on the lead. No, like there's a whole range of different uh, no, no different abilities that he had to score goals, which was which is quite incredible. I remember that game you're talking about. I think it might have been 2007 or maybe 2006. But, yeah, it was pretty very early in his career. But I think, yeah. As Jimmy Bartell um, said yesterday when I was on air with him, that 2008 season he had more than 200 shots at goal, um, which, you know, in, in those circumstances and the way other key forwards were starting to have life made difficult was just, Ridiculous. Last one, just from a purely coaching perspective, how did you used to what plan for a game on Buddy? I mean, you would have had a regular matchup wherever you were coaching. You would have had a, a regular matchup against him. But were there times you just sort of, as an opposition coach, threw your hands up and said, "I don't know what to do here." Uh, probably only once, because obviously early in his career, that he, you know, obviously become a greater player as it went on, but. Um, as the 2008 uh, season, we played them in Launceston and we, we uh, the, you know, the Bulldogs won. And, you know, we had some players back a bit. We had Dale Morris on him, did well then. Played in the final. And it was the final where it was like, wow. Um, I put Dale, he beat Dale there, put Brian Lake on him, and he, beat, he just, he was nearly unstoppable. If he kicked straight, I don't, I don't know what he kicked. He would have kicked six. I believe Oh, I think it was eight or eight or nine. Might have, might have kicked eight, yeah. but he kicked eight six or something like that. Um, so he could have really had a day out. But yeah, he was at the peak of his powers early on in his career, which two thousand eight. Obviously, great season for him. Is there a, is there a, a moment, even as an opposition coach, where he does something you just reduced to going, "Wow, being a bit of a fan." 
Yes, Ozzy. No, I wasn't going as a fan, but there weren't. He ended up winning kick two ten, which is in two thousand seven. Just his guy, his size and height. Not that he was bulky in those days, but to turn around to do a, a one eighty degree spin back on the ball with speed. Like you know, obviously Peter Hudson, I played with Peter. Peter had a great ability to do a one eighty, but he he, he blues his opponent. But he, he wouldn't gather speed where Franklin would turn and all of a sudden he's got 10 metres, mate. And that's at speed of his ability to do that and change direction for a guy who was in the old language, six foot four, six foot five, was, was quite incredible. Well, it's been an incredible career. I, I do love those moments when coaches turn fanboy. I've never forgotten uh, there's a documentary from the lips of Lethal about the first Hollywood Brisbane grand final in 2002. And Lee, you know very well, uh, yeah, he's economical with his words sometimes, even as a coach. And he's mic'd up sitting in the box, and he literally hasn't said a, a single thing after the start of the game until Anthony Rocker for Collingwood, the opposition, bombs one for about 50 metres out. And the first thing you hear Lee Paul say is, had a good goal. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that, uh, that high-pitched voice that Barney's got. Yeah, sorry, Wade, if you're listening to this, I, should, I shouldn't have done that. Um, all right, Lance Franklin, what a career, and, and hats off to him from all of us here at the Footyology Podcast, all two of us. All right, uh, serious stuff to discuss, too, and that, of course, is, uh, well, the ongoing concussion issues, uh, and they've flared up again, well, for a couple of reasons. One, um, a nasty clash of heads between Port Adelaide pair Lockie Jones um, and Aaliyah Aaliyah in that showdown game on Saturday night uh, and both players ending up uh, in concussion protocols but the club not acting at the time and that's caused a real stink. Um, AFL asking them for a please explain. Club doctor Mark Fisher, a long time, highly respected doctor having to sort of issue a bit of a mea culpa, but um, also brought into focus, Rocket, with the news yesterday that young horse on Ruckman Max Lynch has been forced into premature retirement uh, after repeated concussions. He's only 24 and was put on Hawthorne's uh, long-term injury list in May after another concussion, which is understood to be the ninth of his career and two in his debut season. Um, the AFL's independent medical concussion panel recommended he no longer play contact sport and he's retired after 11 games. Re- really sad for him, but I guess this blow-up with Port too and the debate about the sort of testing undertaken, the difference between a, a SCAT-5 concussion test and the more rudimentary test, um, it's a really thorny issue, isn't it? And you can just see everyone now, anytime something happens, really tiptoeing around it because the legal ramifications of all this are so huge, aren't they? Oh, they are massive. And uh, and this is one thing that's not going away. Like we talk about rule changes or whatever becomes a discussion point. And you know that'll end up dying down and move out. This is not going away. This may be an increase. And yeah. As an optic, you would have thought both players would have wouldn't have been able to come back on the ground, just as a perception. When you're challenging and having a police explain it, or as the media or as we're doing, challenging Port Adelaide about uh, about a decision for a leader to go back, you're actually challenging the integrity of a doctor. 
as well. So there, there's another uh, area as well because the doctor is obviously highly credentialed, highly respected. He's been there a long time and they're actually challenging his, his findings. So whether the testing needs to go to another level as in uh, a bit deeper with its testing rather than just a scat test or just a rudimentary test, as you say, um, yeah, we're interested to see what happens. Um, oh, I'm, I can see the future where, and not too, too distant future, where players will be off even if they haven't got concussion. Like if if that asked a test, it, it won't even be as bad as that. You've got to have a head knock and they will just they will just take you off, which in turn, by extension, to play, teams play with 19 and 20 men, like they had two and three and then get an injury. Do we... The sub go to make a 23 we play, 23 then a sub. So you've got the situation you don't want to have three players off with concussion, which maybe end up wrong. I mean, that's a possibility in three, four, five years' time. Because it's this this issue is not it's not going to take a backward step. We can't rewind it. It's going forward and we'll gather momentum. Oh, I wonder too if it's starting to sort of seep the ramifications are starting to seep into other areas as well. I could be wrong here, but there's definitely over the last few weeks, and we we did talk about it on radio at the weekend. There's several um, instances now of players who have been injured and not seeming to have any concussion type injury no. who come off and play is stopped, um, and that yes. is really unusual. And we haven't, unless I've missed it, we haven't really had an explanation from the no. NFL. No. Well, I'm just wondering if that's a bit of a a knock-on effect from the concussion stuff, and they're just saying you don't take any chances with any sort of injury, lest it turn out to be more severe, and there's a possibility of some sort of legal action being taken. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. But no, no I, I, I think you may be right, but that's where the AFL do create their own issues. They're not transparent. No. If that's the case, and we agree with it, that's fine. We'll deal with it. But just tell everyone. Because yeah. the, the, even the commentators say, well, I'm not too sure why the players stop that. That player's hurt himself, which is not a concussion issue, but it's 80 metres from the ball, and they've stopped the play. Now, I think it's probably more your point. is probably, well, we don't want to take any risks with the play comes back around them and then someone gets hurt or get injured uh, uh, with the head. Uh, but at least tell us. At least, mm -hmm. like, it's a pretty easy thing. Just put it out a press release, um, and everyone's okay, and, and we move on. So... It just creates some confusion, that's for sure. And I think we keep saying, oh, you know, it's going to keep going. Well, the the chickens are coming home to roost pretty quickly on this. One, one of the upshots of that Port Adelaide story was uh, some comments from Peter Jess, uh, long-term player manager, but now more of a, a campaigner sure. at concussion. What did you say? I'm going to say provoke. <laughs> provoke. But he stirs the bear a bit. He, he, does, he does paint the bear a bit, Peter Um But he's involved in a class action of former players against the AFL over the handling concussion. Um, now, he came out, I'll just tell you what he said exactly. This situation highlights how ineffective the AFL concussion assessment management system is when two, uh, allows two players knocked unconscious to be considered able to return to play on the same day. As if you can have someone knocked out cold, recover in 20 minutes and not sit out because they can cast, but sit out because they have a migraine. It is a system failure. This is a watershed moment to the AFL because what it has done is exposed the absurdity of their concussion management system. And the other um, post rocket, I, I only noticed it myself well, shortly before we recorded this, to be honest, but 
Sam Mace, former Port Adelaide, Brisbane Port Adelaide player, um, his partner came out on social media and, and talked about how he'd um, resumed playing after being concussed and expanded on that, uh, I think talking to David Zeta from Fox Sports. But her anecdotes about his sort of behaviour at home after being concussed in an incident were quite were quite scary. So, you know, it's that uncharted territory, and I think from an AFL perspective, it's absolutely about, you know, the possibility of these continued legal actions really weakening the whole game financially. So yeah. whatever we work out and however clunky it is, it's got to be preferable to the danger of the game being bankrupted by repeated uh, exactly. legal exactly. actions. Yes. Yeah. Agree? Yeah. I agree. And I think the AFL are heading that way and uh, and I think the MRO and these type of situations where players have been suspended, we've just got to be really mindful of the head. So, so, and I think with Max Lynch is the one you've said, at 24 years of age and hasn't played since round six um, and he's been told not to do any contact sport at all. So, um, I think it's there for that. I think it's there in the pudding, isn't it? Well, watch this space. Definitely uh, won't be the last time we talk about this issue, that's for sure. All right, another massive round about to unfold. Let's get into it. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Round 21 kicks off with a big Friday night game, 7.50pm Marvel Stadium. Western Bulldogs taking on Richmond. One of these pivotal clashes about the race to the eight. The Bulldogs are eight double ladder, 10 and nine after a uh, potentially damaging five-point loss to GWS. They've only won three of their last nine. The Bulldogs are struggling. Richmond also lost. They are 11. Uh, nine wins, nine losses and a draw. 32-point defeat against Melbourne. Uh, the Demons putting the foot down in the last quarter. Uh, head-to-head, Bulldogs beat Richmond by five points. Uh, back in round four at the MCG. They had lost their last three prior to that to Richmond. And these two teams haven't played each other at Marvel Stadium since 2019. How the Bulldogs go at Marvel were well, six wins, four losses this season. Richmond, not so good. They have, of their last six games at Marvel Stadium, they've lost five, and their best result is a draw against Fremantle last year. Their last win at the ground was back in 2021. Uh, which seems significant to me. I'll talk about personnel shortly, but uh, what do you reckon? That The venue, bit of a factor here, I reckon, Rocket. Tigers don't like it. No, the Tigers don't like it. And like the West Coast who whinged about COVID and being in the hub, uh, the Tigers whinge about going to Marvel, which is never a good sign mentally, is it? But that was that was their old coach. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, the new coach won't do that. Um I must admit, I don't know who to pick. Um, the Bulldogs were extremely disappointed with last week, being 29 points up or whatever they were, and let the lead go. Um, and I like Kingsley's move last week of Cal Ward. I mentioned that last week. You know, to stop Bontempelli. Bontempelli ran right the first quarter. Ward, who's such a tough, physical player, that's a player you need on Bontempelli. Not someone who can run. It's just need that body work. Um, and whether Richmond decide to do that, whether Graham goes to him. Um, I think they need to do If they can stop Bottom Pelly, with all due respect, you stop the Bulldogs. Norton doesn't do a lot. Ta- Ta- Taylor stitched him up last week. English is, is playing quite well, but Bottom is their heart and soul. He's the one that causes them to win games. Have they got enough depth to support him this week? I don't know. Um, Tigers, I think, are at where they're at. I think 
they're competitive. Uh, they fell away last week just through talent. I think they're just lacking a little bit of, uh, you know, talent at the back end. They're older players, Grimes and these type of players are starting to struggle a little bit. Uh, having said that, they're still competitive. They, now, they're a chance to win this, but I will probably lean towards the Bulldogs because it's a home game. Just on Blonton Pelly, hasn't the loss of Josh Dunkley been, I think, far more significant to the Bulldogs than they would have feared? I reckon they've really missed him. Oh, there's no doubt about that. He's had a great year for Brisbane. He's, he's had, he had, he, even last week when they got belted, he, he played really well. I think last year that Bonton Pelly played a bit more forward when Dunkley was playing, so um, which is probably not a great move either. I think, you know, there's Liberatories had a great year in Bonton Pelly. Then after that, it's been really patchy in their midfield. Some good games here and good games there, but no consistency to support them. I think Dunkley, as you say, gives them that harder edge inside, um, and they're missing that. Uh, but I just don't know whether the Tigers can stop the bond. Well, let's talk about personnel because uh, the Bulldogs have got some issues there and they're mainly down back where, unfortunately, uh, Josh Bruce will have to have a second knee reconstruction after uh, an ACL on that game against GWS. Alex Keith is in concussion protocols, so he won't be playing. Uh, small defender Ed Richards could be available. He didn't play last week. But um, they might have to rush back Liam Jones, who's been out with a, a broken arm. Uh, round 15, it was against North Melbourne. So um, it might be a bit of an SOS for him because they're starting to struggle for defence down back. Tim O'Brien, hamstring, he's perpetually got... He's on the Orazio Fantasia injury list today. Um, Richmond, uh, shorter injury list for them, but still significant. Tom Lynch, of course, done for the season with that foot injury. And Josh Gipkis, uh, promising young defender, he's now been ruled out for the rest of the season with a hamstring injury. Uh, Toby Nankervis does come back after serving that three-game suspension, and Jaden Short will be available. But I, I, I'm a bit scarred by the Tigers of Marvel Rocket. I, I always think the dogs, dogs at Marvel good, Richmond at Marvel bad. And that is enough for me. Uh, to go with the Bulldogs and uh, just about officially kill off what lingering finals hopes the Tigers had. I'm going to go for the Western Bulldogs here by 16 points. What do you reckon? Well, that's a bit close. We're sure that Nan Kervis back will, will help. Um, it's There's five games uh, in this round which really got a, a big saying on the finals each, where, where both sides are. Uh, are fighting for a final spot or a particular spot in the eight. Um, and this is one of them. The Bulldogs lose this really under the pump. Yeah. Um, so I think on the base of that, and Bontepelli generally in good form, I think five points. Five points. All right. Uh, as you say, five games, no fewer than five of nine games between two uh, top eight aspirants. So uh, a, a terrific round. It's Friday night. Let's talk about what is an action-packed satellite. First game on Saturday afternoon, Marvel Stadium again at 1.45pm. It is Essendon taking on West Coast. The Bombers have slipped down to 13th now, 9 wins, 10 losses after another loss to Sydney by two points. They've lost five of their last six, the Bombers. West Coast, in contrast, breaking the ice. A second win for the season against North Melbourne by five points. That broke a run of 16 consecutive defeats. Uh, much celebrations being performed in Perth as a result. 
head-to-head, these two. Essendon beat the Eagles by 50 points over in Perth in round 11. Um, four and West Coast have won six of the last 10. Bombers at Marvel Stadium, well, their record was looking better. Not so good now. They've lost their last two there. They're nine wins, six losses since the start of last season. West Coast, well, they're losing everywhere, so they're losing at Marvel as well. They've lost five out of their last six there. Uh, they've played two games previous to this at Marvel this year and lost them both to North Melbourne. And Carlton will talk about injuries in a sec, but, uh, well, West Coast uh, might not even win the wooden spoon now, Rocket. They're uh, level points with Norm after that win last week. Yeah, I can't see them winning another game, mate, and their percentage is that bad. That, uh, right, I was just talking it up. No, I know that. You're trying to talk it up, and I think that they would want the number one pick, so... Uh, oh, don't go there. I don't think they tank. I think they... <laughs> think they're, um, think they're that poor. I don't think they're going to win a game, so... Uh, now the bombers were were terrific last week. Won every won won it everywhere except on the on the scoreboard. And, well, uh, well, so I've got to pick you up on that. That's not terrific, though, is it? I mean, I've one and one th- one area where they have struggled. Sorry to derail you here, but I was doing stats of this game. Uh, Sydney only had I think thirty seven inside fifties and had twenty six scores. You can't do that. No, that's right. And uh, I think it was a bit of the efficiency because Sydney. Letting Warner and McInerney and these guys and Goulden especially that Goulden that was a real mistake with Brad Scott of not clamping on Goulden uh, and teams have got to do that they've got to clamp on him um, even though I've got him in my super coach team I, I <laughs> like most people have but uh, no but he's one he's he's close to the best kick in the competition his ability to laser a pass and and pick the best option uh, but the but the Bombers and that's where they struggle in defence with Ridley out. Um, you know, they start to struggle a bit, but uh, and and I think it'll cost them a spot on the eight. But overall, and I know you're a passionate um, Essendon man, I think they've had a good season. I think the future's bright for them, but but they should win this game. I can't see the West Coast getting close to them, even if they have a down day. The Bombers, I think the Eagles are shot. They've got no fitness, has improved against St Kilda when they had their big positive game, and then they fell over the last quarter, and again. I mean, they were four goals up on North Melbourne and just fell in in the end. They've got no fitness in their legs. Uh, even if they get injured players back, no, not for me. I think the Bombers will win this one easy. Well, um, well speaking of injured players coming back, I'm almost surprised they're bothering. But uh, Jeremy McGovern expected to return this week after missing two games with uh, late-onset concussion. Um Barras is the latest one to uh, to bite the dust. He's got a compressed fracture of his back, uh, which is probably him done and dusted for the year. And oh, look, I won't bother reading the rest of the no, no, no. anymore, does it? No. Uh, it's it's tedious listening. I do agree with you on Essendon, whether they make it or not. I think the pluses have been significant. In fact, I'm not sure Essendon supporters are too hung up on whether they make it or not either, because. Uh, We've seen the Bombers, I think they've done three times in the last six years, went into the eight and got spanked in an elimination final. And, and it's absolutely token finals appearances, pointless really. So um, you're better off just focusing on getting the structure right and hopefully getting the wins and and making it a long-term vision. And no doubt the loss of Jordan Ridley disrupted that back line set up. Uh, the Swans scored about... I think four or five goals out the back, whereas and then it just pushed up too far and got caught out. Had they had a, a, I know people hate their sort of 
other sport terminology, but they needed a goalkeeper to stop that last Tom Papley shot bouncing through from about 500 metres out, Rocket. That was ridiculous. They'd had to yeah, lay down. I, I think the same with the Bulldogs. They're very aggressive in their in their positioning. But you always, whether you want to call it a goalkeeper, call it an anchor, call it whatever, just a protector at the back. It just needs to block that block that space. So, uh, But overall, they've done very well. But um, I think the Bombers by 45 points. Uh, yeah, I think uh, they're going to win it pretty well. I only go for, uh, yeah, I don't think they're in the shape to sort of do a complete demolition job, but I think they can win comfortably enough. I only go for Essendon by 42. All right, 2.10 Eastern Standard Time over in Adelaide. We have the Crows taking on Gold Coast. Uh, the Crows are now 12th on the ladder, nine wins, 10 losses, but a great uh, winning the showdown against Port Adelaide, 47 points. Bit of a demolition job on the power. Gold Coast, 14th of the ladder, 9 and 10. And they had a great win too. Beat up on Brisbane by 41 points. Their first win over the Lions for five years. Uh, what about these two head-to-head? I must say, I can't recall instantly too many Adelaide-Gold Coast clashes of your rocket. Uh, but Gold Coast have won three of the last four between these two sides. And they did actually, I do remember this one, they beat um, Adelaide up in Darwin by 25 points in round 12. And that was one of two back-to-back wins the Suns had in Darwin. Bulldogs, the other victim there. Adelaide have won eight of their last 10 at Adelaide Oval. Gold Coast, yet to win again at Adelaide Oval. Zero wins, 10 losses. And they lost to Port uh, there by 33 points back in round 17. Well, we're still talking about both these sides, and believe it or not, as an outside finals chance. One of these sides hasn't even got a proper coach, and there's still a finals chance. What's going on? Yeah, well, I don't think the Suns are, are a finals chance because of their percentage, so there's an extra game. So they're, they're out. Adelaide are still a, a, an outside chance. They're drawn, but they've got to beat the Suns. They've got to win this week. Um, their tough one is next week, Brisbane in Brisbane. And we've got Sydney in Sydney. Who, uh, sorry, Sydney in Adelaide. Um, then they play the West Coast. Then they play West Coast. So this is a must win. The next two weeks um, is is must win. I mean, the way they played is the way that we've seen them positively this year. They've pushed Collingwood twice to under a goal. Um, They've had a couple of lapses. Um, They seem to play better at home, even though the Giants did beat them there the other week, um, which is another lapse, which uh, was going to cost them. But uh, but I think full credit to the Suns last week. Their midfield, Rao answered, uh, you know, from his poor performance a week before. Miller obviously gets himself up for Zorko. Um, uh, Anderson played well. So they, they moved the ball well last week, but the lines were really poor. Lines looked as if they were, as if it's just going to win by turning up. And that was the old lines. It was the old lines that we've come to not trust. Um, that was them in that was them in spades last week. I think there's a really tight game. I think the pressure that the uh, the Suns will bring will keep them in the game. But I think after half time, I, I can just see Adelaide going away with the game and be able to win reasonably comfortably, um, especially with the talent they've got in their forward line. Well, one area Adelaide has been a bit sus this year. They've been they've been great up forward. Um, I think their uh, their midfield numbers are okay. I think their ball movements okay, but they have struggled defensively. And their structure has really taken a hit. Now, Tom Duday, his loss to the season knocked them around. But in the last two weeks, two more significant ones, Nick Murray, he's done for the season. They got injured against Melbourne, that narrow loss to the Demons. 
And now Jordan Butts, he's had surgery on a fractured foot after being uh, subbed out during the showdown. So a couple of key defenders gone, uh, or three if you throw in Duday, um, that's really going to stretch anyone's defensive stocks. The other one uh, that they stand to miss in that run home you talk about is Isaac Rankin because he's such a, a brilliant player. He was absolutely braining them against Melbourne when he did that hamstring. He is hopeful um, now of a round 22 return, which would mean he'd only missed, what, two games. But, oh, geez, it seems pretty quick for a what looked like a pretty bad hammy. I was down on the bench there. It didn't look too good. Uh, Gold Coast, one thing that's gone their way this year, they've been remarkably uninjured. Joel Jeffrey um, is the only sort of... Oh, Lockie Weller, sorry. He's done for the season with a knee injury. Joel Jeffrey could resume... Uh, in the final round, again, I don't know why you bother, but uh, then again, Gold Coast have got a VFL side expected to play finals, so maybe you keep him fresh for that. Um, yeah, look, I think Adelaide, with the stakes here, gets it done. Uh, not necessarily by a lot. I think you're right. I think Gold Coast are perhaps in better nick than people give them credit for, but I'm going to go to Adelaide by, you know, let's say, Richie Benno, 22. What do you reckon? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, have a look at the players out, and that's why we picked Port last week with Rankin out, Murray out, Duday out, but they got the job done. The one player I'll give a mention to was Keane, the Irish guy last week. Oh, yeah. Was it Mark Keane? Yeah. He's, he did really well. So um, he's a bit of the, that, that Jack Payne um, type player, that big solid player that just beats a player one-on-one. I thought he did really well. So, um, But I think with Laird back, he, he played really well last week, and uh, I think, 29 points for the Crows. 29 points. It's funny, Mark Keane. Any Irishman called Keane, I instinctively want to call Roy Keane. Uh, yeah. More in you know, Manchester United. Or if you're a fan of Ted Lasso, Roy Keat, um, who is the famously gruff Englishman in that series. Yeah, oh, yeah, he's very he's fantastic, Roy Keane. He's, he's a beauty. <laughs> I wonder how Roy Keane views him. You see that he's taken the parody of him. Be, oh, I'm not really like that, am I? <laughs> I reckon he'd be flattered, wouldn't he? Because he, he, he would. He, he would. gets humanized, uh, humanized, boy, Kent. He becomes the you know the gruff guy with the heart of gold. Yeah, he like, does. Bit like you, Rocket. Oh, no, uh, no, you're a funny man. Twilight Saturday at the MCG, 4.35 p.m. Hawthorne taking on Collingwood. The Hawks, 16th on ladder, five wins, 14 losses. After a 29-point loss to the Saints last Sunday, the Pies, as they have been virtually all year, on top. After a defeat, though, a rare defeat, just their third of a season to Carlton by 17 points. Uh, head-to-head, the last 16 games between these two sides, 13-3 in favour of the... Of, hang on, have I got that wrong? Sorry, 13-3, and the Hawks have won two of the last three. Uh, last year, Collingwood just got over the line in round 12 by four points. The Hawks, the MCG, uh, only one win from six appearances this year. And the Pies, we know how much they love their home ground and their away ground most of the time, it seems. They've got 22 out of 27 games there since the start of last year. They play there virtually every week. Uh, I'll mention injuries in a sec. But uh, yeah, the Hawks, they had their moments against St Kilda, but they just got blown away in that first quarter with nine, allowing the Saints nine goals. And Collingwood, 
just a little bit off the pace. Most of that game against Carlton weren't they? Oh, they were. I thought I thought Carlton um, actually prepared pretty well. Um, you know the way that Collingwood play, so it's a bit of a blueprint. Uh, I think Port uh, the week before as well had a bit of a blueprint. So I think teams teams will do things differently against uh, against the Pies. Um, but uh, they've got some flexibility. I thought the move of Howe up forward last week was a good move. Uh, the Hawks were disappointing last week, as you said, the first quarter. The the Saints' Achilles heel generally is their lack of speed in the midfield, um, and they just smashed Hawthorne in the midfield last week. No one was seeing Mitchell was upset a quarter time, and deservedly so. And that's and that was the game. It was one I lost there. Um, so, but I, I don't think I don't think the Hawks are going to trouble the Pies really. To be honest, I think they'll be in patches. They'll play some good footy. They can move the ball well. Um, but the Pies will be smarting a bit from last week. They'll learn from it. Um, and I think I think they'll probably win this game going away, to be honest. Well, a uh, couple of injuries to the Hawks. Uh, Jack, he's just had no luck with injuries all year. Still sidelined with a groin issue. Hawthorne R hopefully will come back at some stage. Carl Waymon. Uh, is another one who they can't afford to be without. Um, he missed last Sunday's game due to a, a lingering knee issue, and he'll be tested, but just 50-50, I think. Uh, the Pies, they're looking pretty good on the injury front. Uh, wide wide forward Bobby Hill, he'll be available. He was uh, out with illness against the Blues last Friday night, and Sid McRae, young, uh, what is he, key forward, uh, still sidelined. With a broken thumb, but basically a full list to choose some of the pies. And uh, yeah, they'll be a bit dirty after losing to the Blues and, and just getting over the line against Port. And now people asking those, you know, are they vulnerable here? Are they vulnerable where? Well, this would be a good uh, opportunity to show that uh, they're still confident and still got plenty of faith in the formula. Uh, it should be enough, shouldn't it, with uh, the stakes on the line? Yeah, no doubt. Uh, the thing I find interesting was Hill out last week that Ginevan didn't get back in. So Ginevan and him were, were he was he was the small forward. Then they recruited Hill. Then they ended up playing both of them. Ginevan out, and now he didn't replace him. So I think there's probably something. Else. I think he's formed, but whether he's working hard enough, um, whether he just think it was just going to just going to happen, and they're sending a message to him, or perhaps his form isn't just that. Is just not good enough to get back in, but but they're but they're pretty strong. I mean, they're strong all over the field. Uh, they've got a lot of great support players who do their role, and um, and I think uh, I think they'll get the job done quite easily. I, I think by thirty five points. So when you're talking about great support players who do their role, who what are the couple of? Well, I think I think one and uh, is is my check. My check's yeah not a, not a sensational player. Uh, yeah, as much as. People might decry me, and he does. And I'm a rep for him. I think he's a terrific player. But he's that third tool. But he plays his role. Some days he hasn't touched it to three quarter time. Yeah. But he'll he'll tackle. He'll create a contest. Um, he'll create space for other players. In the last quarter, things will fall his way just because he perseveres. Just because he keeps competing. Um, he, he's not a player that they do rely on. But if he can chip in for two or three goals, it's a real bonus for him. And that's why they love him. Because and a coach would love him too because his competitiveness. And he stays in the moment. He doesn't drop his head at all. They've also got guys who, maybe it's just aesthetically, they don't look like they're classy players, but they actually are. Well, the guy's really grown on me, that Bo McCreary. I was going to say, he's another one too that plays his role because he obviously does what the coach wants him to do. Gets up, he creates a bit of a content, he creates chaos. Um, he's got some speed. 
Um, and you have a look at the, except for Elliot, who's who's gone to another level as a player, they haven't got a real forward you can say might dominate the Coleman medal. Yeah, they haven't. They haven't got anyone there that you can say who's really going to be in the top six in the Coleman. But they they get goals done, and uh, you know the midfield do it. They you now they run the overlap. But everyone's dangerous. They're prepared to kick it to any particular player, and uh, um, and their defence is is good. Quain has gone from a, a support player to a really good player. So they now they've got a good balance across uh, across the team, and a, a great tribute again to Craig McRae and that a team ethos as a coach, isn't it? What you're saying there, there's you know no no one in the Colin Medal top six, but they kick enough goals, you know they defend very well, but such a, a team based lineup, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, well the interesting one last week, I thought Nick Dacos got down Selfish Street. Um, he's had two shots a goal across his body where other players were on, and it's a young player that needs to learn that. That I thought it was, well, I'm not playing as well as I can. I'm down a little bit. I've got to kick a goal to, it's a bit like cricket champs. I've got to hit a six or a four to get myself back into form instead of playing the straight bat, instead of just working your way through it, let it feed it off. One was Bobby Hill, one was my check. He could have he could have picked better options, but he wanted to, and then he tried to kick the, the second one and went, went out of bounds, tried to kick across his body. He could have straightened up. So he just needs to learn. I like he's been fantastic, but he's still a young player. All right, give us a uh, tip and a margin. Uh, 35 points for the Pies. Yeah, I'm going for Collingwood by an even six goals, 36 points. All right, let's talk about Saturday night. Well, this is pretty big. Geelong v Port Adelaide at GMHBA Stadium, 7.25 Saturday evening. The Cats down to ninth spot, nine wins, nine losses, and a draw after that shock home defeat to Fremantle by seven points. They've only won four games of their last 11, the Cats, uh, a draw and um, six losses going with those four victories. And Port Adelaide, they've got their issues now too. Three losses in a row, still second on the ladder though, at 14 wins and five defeats. Head to head, well, Port Adelaide had a really good win over the Cats when they last met, which was only round 14. That one at Adelaide Oval, that was by 38 points. Last 10 clashes between these two sides, it's the Cats' way. Six wins to the Cats, four to Port. What about at the venue, which is always a big factor? Well, the Cats' record gets a little bit weaker, but it's still pretty intimidating. 29 wins from their last 35 games at the Cattery. What about Port? They've only won there twice and lost 13 times. Their last win there was back in 2007, and everyone remembers it, second last home and away game. Don Cassisi kicked the winning goal uh, for Port literally in the last couple of seconds against Geelong, and uh, he then properly turned around and beat it by 129 points, I think, in the grand final. That was a spanking. Uh, massive injuries to talk about here. In fact, I'll do that now, Rocky. Yeah, I think I was going to ask you about that first year. Yeah, because they're pretty big. Uh, we'll start with the Cats. They will be without Mark Blitzarbs and Tom Hawkins. Uh, Blitzar's potentially for the rest of the season because that was a pretty serious hamstring injury. Tom Hawkins likely at least three games, so you'd think he'd be lucky to come back before finals as well. Um, he's certainly going to miss the next couple. So those two not there. Uh, Camp Guthrie is the other one for the Cats who's been on the injured list. He is due to come back with that turf toe. Uh, but Port have got Injuries uh, to ponder in defence too. Of course, Alira Lear and 
Lockheed Jones, and we spoke about that, both in concussion protocols after that head clash last week. Is a chance, sorry, sorry there, Rob. Yeah. If they're in, in, in concussion protocols, why were they allowed to go back on the ground? Don't tell me it's delayed concussion. Uh, well, that's part of the uh, controversy that we were talking about earlier yeah. in the side. No, no, that doesn't look good for Port. It doesn't look good for Port. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, some sanctions there will be the upshot, as the please explain from the AFL. Uh, there's a chance Scott Wysett could be available for the power. He set out last weekend. Uh, but this is big because uh, Geelong obviously have to win to have any chance of making the eight. And uh, Port, well, uh, they're in danger of losing that top two spot. And with that, the crucial chance of hosting two finals en route to a grand final date. So this is a massive game, Rocket. What What's going to happen? It is a massive game. I thought initially with Blitzers and um, uh, Hawkins out that even down there, and it's not the fortress where Giants and Fremantle are both one down there. Um, I, I was leaning towards Port, but then hearing if Aaliyah Aaliyah is out and Jones is not as important, you know, when Jonas can come back, but it does expose a bit. Dixon is carrying an injury. You can tell the way he's moving. So whether he plays at some stage, I would have thought they're going to have to give him a rest before the finals, whether that costs. But in their mind now, they're fighting for a top two spot. So you keep playing in. Um, thinking that the uh, buy and then hopefully they win their first final. Then there's another weekend off. Uh, it's a it's a it's a bit of a lottery there. So I'm not totally convinced. I think Port have hit the wall. I think they are great against Collingwood. Should have won. Uh, took the foot off the pedal against Carlton. Got smacked last week. The signs aren't great. I don't know what's happened to Ollie Wines. Ollie Wines they're playing on the wing. He's slower than me, and I don't know why they'd be playing him on the wing. They've taken him. He's won a Brownlow in the centre square. He's not playing in the centre square. He's having no effect on games. So he's becoming a liability. I know they're playing Rosie and Butters, uh, these type of players through there. But Lysette, it may help. I honestly don't know. I, I'm, I don't know where Geelong will get goals. They didn't, couldn't last week with Hawkins and Cameron. Um, can they get goals again this week? Uh, this is a real toss of the coin. And it, it'll be attitudinal who will win this game. So uh, hats like three points. You shouldn't put yourself down, Rocket. Slower than me. I, you know, I say, I, I hear. Rod- I, I'm sixty-five. I hear Rodney Eden. I still think of the seventeen-year-old dashing around the MCG in the nineteen seventy-six Grand Final with that far healthier head of hair than you have now. Um, the venue is such a factor here, isn't it? Now. Okay, the Cats have just lost, and they lost to the Giants earlier this year. How often have they lost two games at Canadian Park in a row? Well, I'll tell you, it happened in 2015, believe it or not, which is the last time they didn't make the finals. But before that, you've got to go back to 2006. So they played 131 games. I did the numbers on this. 131 games at Canadian Park since 2006, and only once in that period have they lost back-to-back home games? It just doesn't happen. And I think you're right. I think Port, Port aren't travelling well. And Aaliyah, Aaliyah, losing Aaliyah and Jones is pretty significant. I think the Cats, gee, they were ordinary last week. And yeah, look, Blitzhubs and Hawkins are significant losses. But I think I think there's enough good players there to get the job done regardless. And I think they are still a genuine a good chance of, of making the eight provided they win this game. That's how important for them. So 
Uh, I'm going to go to the Cats here. I just cannot tip against them to lose two in a row at home. I'm going to go for Geelong by six points. What do you reckon? Yeah, the Cats by three points. Three points. All right. So it's a game. Maybe uh, there'll be another Don Cassisi, although I don't know who the 2023 version of Don would be. And a big hello to Don Cassisi if you tune into the Footyology podcast. All right, let's talk about the other Saturday night game, and that one's uh, another with massive ramifications. <laughs> Battle of the Bridge, they call it. 7.30pm Saturday evening, and it's a giant stadium. GWS taking on Sydney. The Giants, well, they just march on and on. Seven wins in a row now after that fantastic comeback win against the Bulldogs in Ballarat. They've won 11, lost eight. Uh, that was their ninth um, win at a different venue this season. They are the Wayward Brothers, the Giants, and they've won in all six states. Uh, Sydney a 10th on the way to nine wins, nine losses, and a draw after a significant win for them, too, against Essendon. Um, and the last five games between these two sides uh, are so tight. Uh, two wins, uh, sorry, two points. I'll start that again. There's been two wins by two points by the Giants, a draw, and a 13-point loss. Um, so they are tight. And GWS at Giants Stadium, they're seven wins, five losses since the start of last year. Uh, Sydney have won three and lost three at Giants Stadium, but they haven't played there for four years since 2019. So maybe that's significant as well. I'll talk about injuries shortly, but, uh, well, this is a massive clash, Rocket, isn't it? It is a massive clash. Uh, it's really the last one for the Swans. They lose this, they're gone. Uh, the Giants have got a... I know if... Everyone and I'm being a rap from, but they've they've got a tough draw. Like Sydney's not never an easy game because of the rivalry. They've got Port in Adelaide, then they got Essen and Carlton who are both fighting. So they've got to, if they get to the eight, you get in the eight. They've really deserved it. Um, yeah, I think with Rampy out, I know Franklin out is a bit of a loss, but uh, I don't. I think they'll cover that okay. Amati's playing playing well. Uh, McDonald gives him a bit more of an opportunity, but Rampy. I think when Rampy was out that period when he was had four or five weeks, they didn't win a game. And I think he just holds the defence together. They do rely on him. Warner was in good good, good touch. Um, McInerney, whether he plays, you know, you said he might be out. I I just feel in the Giants, the way they're going, that they they keep the other team interested. <laughs> it's always tight. Uh, but you can never count them out. Like last week, they're nearly five goals down at Ballarat, which is really windy last week. Yeah. And to be able to come back from that just show, just shows a fair bit of dicker. So, Toby Green, you now we know he's a star. Um, I think Rampy would have been the perfect matchup for him. I don't know who they can, unless they play McCartan, but that allows the tools. Um, I think the Giants will get the job done here and uh, they'll march on to the eight. Well, I, I agree with you about the significance of the Sydney injuries, and obviously we've all talked about Buddy, but he was sort of more peripheral in terms of their performance. He's out. But like you say, Rampy, that is huge. And you know the other one I think is almost as important as Rampy, funnily enough, is Justin McInerney because he was fantastic for the Swans in that last quarter last week. He just kept intercepting and getting dashing the ball back up towards their forward 50. He's a, I, I really like him as a player, and I think he's been really important for them lately. 
Now, he's out for, uh, well, the prognosis at the moment with that calf injury is three weeks. So not only no Franklin, but no Ramby, no McInerney. And I, I think that's crucial against the Giants. Um, speak about their personal issues. Tom Green is expected to come back. So that really um, beefs up their midfield and I think gives them a bit of an advantage. Uh, Hogan also closing in on a comeback and perhaps if they roll the dice there, um, that would be a way of exploiting Sydney's defensive vulnerability, let's say. So um, that's Millican uh, is going to be tested, so chance to come back. But is he on his own going to be enough to shore up that defence? I wouldn't have thought so. So, you know, in this particular matchup, I'm looking at Sydney's injury issues and they're all sort of in one part of the ground and um, it's a real problem for them, I think, and it means they can't win. No, I agree. And I think uh, what what I liked last week was, I mentioned before, was Kingsley was prepared to tag. So after a quarter time, put Ward onto, um, onto Bontempelli, had a marked effect. I think he'd go to Shut Goulden. You know, he, whether, it's, uh, whether it's a young player who hasn't done it before, like a Finn Callahan, you know, teaching. But if they can if they can dampen or dilute Goulden's effectiveness with the ball, with McInerney out now, it really is going to depend on Warner. So... For me, I think the Giants will win this and win by 13 points. Just a quick word on Adam Kingsley, because on ESPN this week, we uh, were asked to nominate for debate club, us nominate our, our coach of the year. I've gone with Adam Kingsley. Just, uh, I, I think, you know, so little was expected of them. It's his first year in a senior coaching gig, although we all know he's had a long apprenticeship. Um, their consistent competitiveness, they've only lost once by any more than 21 points. The difficult draw they've had, having to win all over the place. It's just melded this group together brilliantly, plus Rocket, the absolute clinching factor for me. He is a massive fan of heavy metal music, and that gets him over the line for me. Shows <laughs> he's a very intelligent man. Is that what you're trying to tell me? Well, you know what? He, I can tell you that I, I was, was speaking to someone who actually secured him the job, and he was officially acknowledged as be, having an incredibly high IQ. So he's a very intelligent man. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't being facetious. I was just saying the jury, the jury, intelligent man, and like heavy metal. So that, so there's, so that was being positive. Okay. Right? You shouldn't, shouldn't be defensive. Oh no, no, no. Oh, <laughs> precious. Oh, well, I am about my musical taste because they, they do lean towards the heavy side. You often get a bit uh, stereotyped because of that. Anyway, enough of my rubbish. Give us a margin. Um, presuming you're going with GWS, how much? GWS by thirteen points. Thirteen points. So I'm going with twelve points. So there you go, Rocket. Great minds think alike. And I'm a heavy metal man too, so there we go. What's your favourite band? Well, I don't know they're heavy metal. I've always been a Led Zeppelin fan. So, oh, boy. Oh. So, um, that's uh, with me. I grew up in that era of Deep Purple and uh, uh, Led Zeppelin. Oh, Led Zeppelin 4. I mean, we're talking one of the Yeah, great, a, you know, that's the best album yet. One of the great albums of all time. And the um, uh, When the Levy Breaks, one of the overlooked classics. Everyone talks about Stairway to Heaven. When the Levy Breaks, the last song on that album. Do yourself a favour if you've never heard it. All right, let's return to talking about football. The Sunday card kicks off at Blundstone Arena in Hobart, 1.10pm, North Melbourne taking on Melbourne. Uh, the Roos, 7-8th on the ladder now, 2-17 and 17 after that heartbreaker against West Coast. Wood, hard losing by five points. Melbourne, 4th on the ladder. 
13 and 6 after a power pack last quarter against Richmond. Saw them over the line by 32 points. North Melbourne and Melbourne. The Roos won 17 games in a row between those two sides between 2007 and 2017. But the tables have turned. Melbourne have now won five of the last six. And the Roos' last win over the Demons was back in 2019. North of Blundstone Arena have now lost their last seven games there, and their last win was in 2021 against Gold Coast. Uh, Melbourne have played there four times, only won the once, and that was in 2021. We'll talk personnel in a moment, but uh, yeah, big, big power pack last quarter by the Demons last week, Rocket and LaRue, so they'd be shattered by it, not even being able to beat West Coast last week, surely. Yeah, it was poor by them, and I th- we spoke about it last week that we're worried about that after great effort against the Gilda is there an emotional letdown from a team that's been uh, poor all year and there was uh, they really struggled uh, they didn't bring the the fire and energy they had the week before Melbourne will probably be the same this week they'll probably have a letdown uh, but you think they've just got too much talent um, to, to actually let this game slip and uh, you think it might even be close early. North will bounce back a bit, playing at their second home ground. But, I mean, the Demons have just got too much firepower. They're, they're starting to show their wares. Obviously, Oliver's to come back. Fritch is to come back a, a little bit after that. Van Royen and there was Petty last week. It looks like they're two keys in their forward line. Uh, Melchin's a good support player there. Viney's had a terrific year. Petraka dominated last year. Uh, it's a fair chance it's going to be windy at Bell Reef, which it always is. Um, uh, not the greatest place to play footy, but uh, I think uh, I think I think Melbourne will win this game easy. We'll talk about uh, personnel quickly. The Ruse, uh, Bonar, Hall, and Perez could all return at some level, but uh, will be tested. Uh, Cal Coleman Jones, he had a second concussion, so they're still waiting and seeing on that. Shields and Wardlaw still a week away. Lazaro and Powell came back in the VFL last weekend. Melbourne, you got those two big ones there. Bailey Fritch uh, still less three weeks away to the foot injury. Oliver, one to two weeks. It's been that for however long now. Uh, Tom Sparrow has a fitness test after uh, missing the Richmond game with calf tightness, but a good chance to re- return. And uh, even Tom McDonald, who's a bit of a forgotten man, He's returned to full training and should be available to play for Casey in a fortnight. Although you'd think, Rocket, uh, just quickly, one thing which I think Melbourne has sorted out now is its board structure because Harrison Petty, he was fantastic. And um, Jackie Milsham's bobbed up and doing a terrific job for them as well. In fact, they have three guys all kicking four goals or more. Uh, I reckon it might be goodbye Ben Brown and goodbye McDonald and... Um, well, Fritch has to come back, but uh, I, I'm not sure they can tip Milk's out now, can they? No, I don't think they can. He's he, and he's such a good kick for goal, uh, and he's a smart player. Like he has, he got the the speed and uh, maybe the uh, physical tricks of uh, Fritch, but he's he can kick goal. So I think there's a place for both of them in the team. Um, so it's whether the, the the other smaller ones, the um, you know, you know the Bullens or the Spargos, these type of players, with it, but I think there's a spot for him because there's nothing like being able to kick a goal run, as you know. You can have all the stats you like about ground balls and tackles and whatever, but if you can't put them through the sticks, it kills you. 
and and that is one that's one ability that he's got. So I think um, I think he'll be able to stay on the side. But yeah, I think they've got that balance right. Um, I think they if they can get enough games into Oliver before the finals, and they would need I think he'd need to be back next week to be perfect, so that'd give them three games and then a bye. Getting two games or one game before the bye uh, is a bit problematic. Um, I don't know whether that's enough for him to be at his best in the final series. But for me, it's Melbourne easily. Melbourne by 51 points. Yeah, Melbourne by plenty for me too. I, I think they're coming pretty hard again, Rocket. I'm, I'm sensing a bit of 2021 about this. Just going to get their act together at the perfect time. Like I say, all are crucial, but... There's still time to do that. And, uh, yep, I think Melksham and Fritch both play in that one forward set up. I'll go for Melbourne by 42 points. All right, uh, let's head back to Melbourne for another big Sunday afternoon clash. Well, another game with ramifications to the top eight for both sides. 3.20 p.m. Marble Stadium, St Kilda taking on Carlton. The Saints, it's on a ladder, 11 and 8 after that. 29-point win over Hawthorne. And the Blues triumphant victors over Collingwood. Uh, that put them in seventh spot. Ten wins, eight losses and a draw. Uh, head-to-head, they played in round six and that, that resulted in a 22-point win to the Saints, who have won seven of the last ten clashes between the two clubs. Marble Stadium, the Saints had 12 wins and 10 losses since the start of last season. Uh, the Blues... Yeah, 50-50 there this year, 3-3. Three and three. But their last two uh, appearances there have resulted in emphatic wins, one over Port Adelaide and one over West Coast. Uh, I'll talk about injuries in a sec, but they're a funny one, the Saints Rocket. I've written about them today, as a matter of fact. They're, uh, they're, they're being quoted $81 to win the Premiership, which is below or significantly more than five sides who are below them on the ladder um no one seems to rate them and yet here they are fifth and and well placed it's a curious one yeah i don't think they can win the flag and i think that's the, the premiership odds they just haven't got a side that can win the flag but they've done well um uh their their system holds up defensively which whether they can score enough goals and obviously they blew the hawks off the park in the first quarter so carlton are in a position where they were in good form they're playing some really good footy they cannot afford to take this game easy um, and even if they just get over the line, they just got to win the game. They don't have to think, oh, we've got to get percentage or win by five goals to, to actually justify anything. Because the Saints generally are a defensive side. Um, they do tackle, they do pressure, and they do cause turnovers. Um, if Carlton go back into their shell and play their old stodgy footy, they'll lose. They've got to get the ball in quickly to Kerno. Jack Martin, I think, was an unsold hero last, undersold hero last week. He was terrific. He he set up. He kicked three. He set up three or four just by contest. Won a ground ball, and really took some pressure off Kerno. And um, and I th- I think they've got a, a reasonable um, avenue to goal. I reckon they've got a really talented forward line, even, and they're not missing Mackay. It's just be able to win the ball in the midfield. Their midfield stood up. Chair is going to be a loss. Um, but uh, you know, you think if they're professional and they're mature, they should win this game. But that's um, just on the midfield. It's a real vote of confidence in the depth of it now, isn't it? That I mean, Chair is going to miss a fortnight. No Sam Walsh uh, last week and, and still a week away. Matt Kennedy hasn't been a factor. 
And yet, you know, even a year ago, I reckon if those names weren't part of the equation, there's no way they could win. But they seem to have uh, enough depth now to get the job done there. Yeah, they do, and they and they're mixing around. and um, And I thought Cripps was good last last week as well. We were able to burst away from stoppage. Um, looked as if he was free of his uh, ailments that he's that he's had. But uh, yeah, I, I think I think Cottrell's doing all now. Support players are actually providing something a bit of speed. Uh, Newman down back's done really well. So you would think if if they're on song and they bring the right attitude, that they'll win this game. Uh, speaking of making do, the, the Saints have made do without Max King and Tim Membry. Um, so, you know, they're only, I think they're ranked 14th for Port scored, so not very good offensively, but they have had uh, decent excuses for that, I think. But both those guys pushing to be available this week. So, boy, that would change the equation significantly. And Brad Hill, uh, I saw Ross Lyons post-game press conference from last week, he said Brad Hill was capable of running two marathons now. So uh, I think that means he's going to be picked to play. And uh, that's a big in for them as well. So, yeah, this is a... I've really tossed and turned over... Well, not yeah. tossed and turned, but I've, I've really had trouble coming up with a winner for this one. In the end, I'm going to go for the Blues, but not with any degree of conviction because I just there's something about this game that sort of... I don't even know if it would be an upset, but I just reckon Ross Lyons, St Kilda spells danger for the Blues, and I think they'd be pretty anxious about it. I'm going to go for Carlton. Uh, as well, it's not the narrowest of margins, but given I'm only aware to tip even numbers, I'm going two points. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the same with uh, Carlton. They, they can't afford to think... Uh, that this is on their fall, they would just roll up and uh, and we're going to win the game. I think it's going to be a tough contest. They need to attack it like they attacked it last week. and But I think still think it'll be close. Um, I think Carlton by five. And a weekend of footy kicks off. Oh, sorry, say that again. A weekend of footy wraps up at Optus Stadium in Perth. Uh, 4.40 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Fremantle taking on Brisbane. The Dockers, 15th of a ladder. But their eighth win of the year was a ripper uh, down at the Cattery against Geelong by seven points. And the Lions, in contrast, had a Barry Crocker. They're still third on the ladder, but 13-6 and six now after a 41-point loss to Gold Coast. It was the first game they've lost to the Suns since 2018. What about... Uh, Fremantle lead Brisbane head-to-head. Well, Fremantle lost six out of seven games to Brisbane. Oh, sorry, six out of their last seven games before they beat Geelong. Uh, Brisbane had won six out of eight uh, and beat the Dockers by round uh, 48 points in round seven. She's a making an absolute meal of this. Uh, Fremantle at Optus Stadium, 13 wins and nine losses since the start of 2022. Uh, Brisbane, uh, two and two at Optus Stadium, all those four games against Fremantle. Uh, talk about injuries in a sec, but um, yeah, Brisbane better bring a bit better than they bought against the Suns, Rocket, or they could be in trouble here. I said after, before last week, I never backed Fremantle again. Um, but, but as I mentioned earlier, Brisbane are showing the flakiness that we've questioned over the last two or three seasons and yeah. um, you know, losing last week. And this is a big travel. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, you have to go with Brisbane. I mean, Fremantle, they did really well last week. You have to give them credit. But without Darcy and that, that's, 
they're still going to back up again. They're still going to be able to do it. Brayshaw led the led the way last week. We spoke about his uh, still playing well, but his lack of going to the contest. He seemed to be playing a defensive bit. Last week he went to the contest. He he drove the team like the like he was doing last season. He's he needs to do more of that. They didn't kick a lot of goals, but it's tough to score down at Geelong. Um, again, it's going to be an attitudinal game. Uh, which Brisbane turns up, which Fremantle turns up. It's a Jekyll and Hyde game. Brisbane have got a, a fair bit to play for, so Porter a chance to lose gives them a chance to get into the second spot. Um, so you'd have to think Brisbane will win this game. It's funny, isn't it? Because we often talk about Fremantle as being, you know, sort of Lions, pardon the pun, Lions at home and Lambs away. But now they've had this massive win on the road, you're almost wondering, will there be a letdown even though they're at home? I mean, because in, in real terms, they don't have that much to play for, do they? Whereas Brisbane do. I think that's a pretty significant yeah. And And they've got some buildings at home this year too, Fremantle. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, you'd have to pick the Lions, I think. Uh, just a bit of personnel stuff. Brennan Cox, uh, faster than expected recovery from an ankle injury, and he could be available this week. Banfield, Brody, and Warner similarly uh, could play either at AFL or Waffle level. Uh, McInerney for Brisbane didn't train on Tuesday, faces a test later in the week, although Darcy not there for Fremantle, uh, probably even the ledger there. Zach Bailey, close to playing last weekend. Uh, unless something goes seriously right, will play this week. So he'd be a big in too. Yeah, look, it's it's must-win stuff for Brisbane Rocket. I'm with you. I think that means they get the job done, even in Perth against uh, Fremantle. So it's just had its best win of the season. So I'll oh, have for Brisbane. I'll buy a heap, but I think by in points. What are you reckon? Yeah, Brisbane by 17. Brisbane. By 17. So, scanning down the tips for this week. Oh, here we go. He's new territory. We've both picked the same side, which means you're not going to make up any tips on me. So, um, tough, <laughs> please. It's a whole How much did you get last week? Oh, don't ask me that when I'm not prepared. Uh, not many. Hang on, let's have a look. How many well, did you get? I got three. Man, we got three, did you? Uh, I'm just having a very quick look. Uh, Collingwood, no. Geelong, no. Bulldogs, uh, no. Brisbane, no. Sydney, yes. Port, no. St Kilda, Melbourne, and West Coast. I've got four because I went for West Coast, not North. So um, you're not making any ground, Rocky. That's a point. I won't lose any sleep, Ron. No, so I, can't. <laughs> I was figuring you'd be really upset about it. Anyway, um, have a good weekend, everyone. Hope your team gets up and has a good win for you as we approach the pointy end of the season. Thanks here, company. We'll catch you next week.